Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Oh, dude, Mel, you are such a great person, such a great friend. Wow. I really sense the presence of the Lord here, this service, in spite of that movie clip thing that you guys do. (laughs) And I, too, would give a shout-out to Blairsville. Thanks for the encouraging responses that you had to the 9 o'clock service. uh, I appreciate that. I love your church. I just love you guys. I feel like family when I come and... I, I just told Mel, it's so funny, I, I, I know you well enough to tease you now, right? We'll see, I don't know. Um, so like the nine o'clock, when missionaries go to foreign cultures, they have to learn the culture so they can communicate more effectively. And I feel like when I'm coming to Pennsylvania from Texas, I have to learn the culture because it's a foreign country to me, you know, to come here and hang out with you guys. And I love, I love the way you, you know, everything about what you do. I'll just say one of the differences is that your highest expression of enthusiasm for anything, whether it's pastor or, or um, movie clips or praising God, is like what I would call the golf clap. You just, you clap, you know, you clap. And I made fun of the nine o'clock service because that's what they did. They, they would clap and, and uh, I teased them. I didn't make fun of them. I teased them a, a little bit. And so I went back in between the services and I turned on, I streamed my, my service just to make sure they didn't lock the doors while I was away, see if anything was going on. And the guy that was preaching there today was in the middle of this rant about clapping. And he's like, don't you understand that when you clap, your hands are instruments of warfare and you are changing the atmosphere and you are lifting praises to the, it was like, he went on for 10 minutes about clapping. And I didn't know if I was supposed to feel guilty because I kind of made fun of you for clapping or if I was supposed to encourage you to clap with more enthusiasm. I didn't know how to interpret that. But if there's anybody who loves Jesus today, Would you clap for him, the best clap of the day? There you go. Wow. Come on. Give it up for the Lord. You're the king. You're the Lord. We bless you. We honor you, Lord. We give you our best praise. Hallelujah. Stand, please, to honor the reading of God's word. I love not just your church, your pastors. They're so special. I love your vision for serving the kingdom of God, the rural pastors. Uh, It's such a great, great privilege of mine to be able to participate in the conference this year. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the surprising locations of the kingdom of God, the surprising locations, like where God shows up is strange sometimes. Where God shows up is strange sometimes, the surprising locations. And I'd like to read to you a passage out of the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, actually mostly John 1, but one verse out of John chapter 2. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. Who's glad for that? And the darkness did not comprehend it. And 
I'm going to jump down, I guess, to verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I think this is the theme verse of the Gospel of John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's so much more there, but let me just turn the page and go to chapter two, and I'd like to read just one verse. It's the middle of a story. Many of you will know this story, but just in the middle of the story, I'm gonna extract one verse, and it simply says, chapter two, verse five, his mother, (laughs) his mother said, To the servants, whatever he says to you. You guys know this? Jesus, that's right. That's the perfect answer. Whatever whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. And this, dear friends, is God's word. You may be seated. So God... He's not confused about what he wants. He doesn't wake up each morning. Of course, he doesn't sleep, so he never wakes up. But he doesn't begin the day by saying, today, I think I'll send missionaries to Thailand. And it would be nice if we had a few people who would protest nudity on Netflix, you know. And maybe somebody would send some relief to Ukraine. God God doesn't have to send those arrows down to the earth for his purposes to be accomplished because his great desire, his purpose, the whole thing that unifies us is he has some people on the earth. He has people who can think of the ideas that are necessary to bring the Lord's Prayer to bring our Father's will into the earth, our Father's heart into the earth, our Father's love and power into the earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in earth. This is why we fill school buses with Christmas gifts. This is why we pass out hot dogs. I think that's in Blairsville that you're gonna do that. This is why we do, because people think of things that represent the heart of God and manifest them in the earth. So God doesn't have to say, oh, let's make sure, you know, he just doesn't do that because he has his people. This is his one desire. Deuteronomy 32, nine says, for the Lord's portion is his people. A portion, that's a great word. It is like the thing that satisfies the Lord's heart. The thing that makes him joyful is that he has some people. Anybody just want to raise your hand and say, I want to be his people. I'm his people because he, he is excited. For Exodus chapter 19 says, you, sh- you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people for all the earth is mine but you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation he's like I am of all the people of all the people I'm gonna craft for myself 
a special people who can interact with me. They'll know about my love. They'll know about my power. And they will bring and introduce to other people the ways of heaven into the earth. Oh, he's so excited about his people. It's in the New Testament too, First Peter 2. You are a chosen generation. You are my royal priesthood. You are my holy nation. You are his own special people. Watch this. The people of God. The people of God. I don't think you're, you're getting it because you're not clapping. I don't want you to clap if it's artificial, but if something happens or you feel like I need encouragement, you can clap either way. Or you don't have to. It's fine. I'm just saying, I don't think you get that. We are the people of God. That means whatever we are concerned about, God is concerned about. Well, uh, yeah, there you go. No, I, I'll never finish the sermon if you clap. So, I mean, to say that we, are, we don't understand the potential. We are God's people. That means whatever we take an interest in in the earth, heaven has already taken interest in in heaven. So he's, whatever we decide is wrong in the earth. Racism is wrong. We've decided it. Abortion is wrong. We're going to pray for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. We decide these things, and the Bible says it has already happened. And we decide to release grace, release favor, release generosity in the earth. The Bible says because we are his people, that has already happened in heaven. We are the people of God. We activate heaven's actions into the earth. John's gospel is different than Matthew or Mark or Luke. John is younger when he writes his gospel and his is the last gospel written in the New Testament. So he doesn't really feel the need to replicate some of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already put in there. For instance, he, he doesn't begin his gospel telling us about the baby born in Bethlehem. He doesn't mention anything about wise men or, you know, shepherds and those kinds of things. John begins with lofty Jesus. John begins with Jesus up in heaven before there was ever a creation. In the beginning is code language for, wait, before there was a heaven or the earth, there was a Jesus and he was up there and, and he is the most, I mean, the words that we read just in the text. John is not as concerned with Jesus as the baby coming to the earth as the brilliance of the king before there ever was an earth. Does this make sense to, to, to you. And, and so it feels like when you read John, it feels like the purpose of his gospel is that we would, we would be enamored with the exaltation of Christ, that, that we would just understand the word. That many of you would know that that, that English word is the is the original word logos, the logos, the reason the universe exists. Nothing was made here that wasn't made by him. The, he, he's the everything. He's the light. And out of the light comes the life. I mean, on and on and on. And, and, and John writes his gospel because he wants us to lose our breath at his beauty. He wants us to know there's an, a God you can barely comprehend except for this. And, and John keeps adding stuff like this, except for this. He showed up in our neighborhood. <laughs> he, he came to the garage where I was getting my car fixed. He, 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 
He was out there in the pasture when people ran out of food and he decided to break a few bread, loaves and, 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 and fish. And, and, and he's, he's a God you can barely grasp. He's been there from the beginning, but he comes into, yeah, into Blairsville and Indiana and Cedar Hill. And I don't know, man, this is kind of amazing to me. John 1, John 1 is a powerful chapter. I didn't even read the whole thing, but, but John 1 is like, God, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just, he's not even just God. He, he, he's Jehovah. He's Elohim. He's El Shaddai. He's the king of glory. And John begins his writing with this lofty presentation of Jesus, which is why it is so intriguing to me to turn the page. Um, literary continuity would demand that John 2 support the thesis of John 1. If John 1 is announcing why he's writing the gospel, then you would suspect that John 2 would begin to unfurl this lofty God, this glorious Jesus. That's why I have a little bit of a struggle understanding why when you turn the page from John 1 to John 2, how do you go from the word made flesh to Jesus is at a party? <laughs> Come on, somebody. What's Pastor Jesus doing at a party? And why is this the first thing that John thinks of after seeing the brilliance? in the heavens. Why is, why is this party even important? None of the other gospel writers even put it in. The gospel, only, only John. And, and remember, he's younger, so maybe he's a little less discretionary. Maybe, maybe he hasn't learned yet that you need to filter out some of the images of Jesus to make it more palatable for the Nazareth crowd and the, and the Capernaum crowd. I mean, maybe he doesn't know how, how to do that yet. Maybe John, because he's younger, he's just a little more open to the idea that God could actually be at a party. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to explain it to, to myself, but I'll be candid with you. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Logos at a party. And I, I'm uncomfortable because clearly this is not a church party. I mean, church parties are fine. We, we have them, but church parties, come on. You know what those are like. That's where you sit somebody down in the middle of the room after you've played Family Feud two or three times, and everybody says nice things about the person that's sitting in the middle, you know, and tell them how good they are, how kind they are. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. Maybe I am a little bit, but I, I'm just saying church parties, you sit around and drink Coke and, and, and coffee, and maybe if it's a wild party, you put ginger ale, ginger ale in some ice cream and, and, and pretend like that's really satisfying to you, oh, this is clearly not one of those kinds of church parties. This is a party party. So, some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Most of you do, though, I can tell. Occasionally, I, even though I'm a, I'm a pastor of a significant church in Dallas, occasionally I get invited to parties like John 2, like a John 2 party. Occasionally, they're usually up in the, up in the roof section of, of one of the high skyscrapers in downtown Dallas. And, and, and you go to those parties and there's an open bar and, and there's unlimited uh, drinks available and, and, and there's music blaring by a DJ with words that I'm not even allowed to think, much less sing along with the song. And I don't understand the words, what they mean anyway. So 
so it's okay. But I'm just trying to tell you, when I go to parties like this, I feel out of place. I'm like, I do not belong in a party. And yet, I, I, I want to fit in because, you know, I've been invited. I, maybe sometimes it's a wedding or something. I, wanna, I don't want to be conspicuous, but I know I am conspicuous when I'm at a party like this. I've noticed that when people ask me to do their weddings, and they've kind of asked me to stop doing their weddings as I've gotten older, but I remember when people would ask me to do their weddings, and, and as soon as we would finish with the ceremony, I could tell that everybody was waiting for me to leave so the party could begin. <laughs> and, and, and so I would leave as soon as possible. I'm just saying, when I go to parties like this, I, I'm conspicuous even though I want to fit in, because I'm the only one that's not on the dance floor. I mean, when I grew up, y'all can't relate to this, but when I grew up, dancing was a sin. That's where the demons were, right there on the dance floor. And, and, and you know, I wasn't allowed to dance, and so I, I never learned how, and I couldn't. It was actually a traumatic thing in our households whenever our junior high school required everyone in the PE class to learn how to square dance. My parents wrote a note saying, uh, we are conscientious objectors to making my, our son dance. It's okay. And I'm just like, that is so embarrassing. I'm still going through counseling for the trauma that that caused. In, in my life, but I'm just trying to imagine Logos at a party. Does he dance? I mean, what kind of a dance would Jesus dance? Would he break dance? Would he salsa? I don't even know. This is a little bit too hard for me even to talk to you about on a Sunday morning. It just seems weird because when I'm at a party, I tend to stand off in the corner with a, with a styrofoam glass so nobody will really know what I'm drinking even though I'm drinking water and I try to fit in, but I don't. The light of the world is at a party. And it doesn't seem weird when you read about it. The word made flesh, is he, I mean, this is imagination. Is he in the middle of the dance floor? I mean, why is it when we think about being conformed into the image of God, sometimes the church goes like, well, we should be more pious. We should, we, we should, be, we should dress certain ways. And we should. This text actually, I don't want to make anyone mad, but this text actually suggests that when we concoct what it might mean to be more like Jesus, we actually become less than we actually are with Jesus. I, 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 I mean, the Pharisees are super sanctimonious and there's no mention of them at this party. So maybe they're the more spiritual by not being at the party. But then again, they weren't the carriers. They're not the people of God. They're not the carriers of the kingdom. I'm probably wearing this out with you guys, but I'm just gonna say it one more time. The light of the world, the life the grace, the truth, is at a big community party. He is not at the temple. He is not at the synagogue. He is at a party. And the Bible says the drama at this party began after the guests had well drunk. I don't want to, again, I'm being careful. I ask permission to preach this part. But I'll just tell you, I don't want to have this theological discussion with anyone after the service, but I personally do not believe this was grape juice they were serving at this party. 
Because the well-established social pattern is you give the best wine at the beginning of the party. And the only reason that would make sense is because you want people to get a little bit under the influence of the wine before you bring out the cheap stuff. And that seems to be going on right here. You can't know the difference between the cheap stuff and the good stuff after you've had enough of the good stuff at the beginning. We don't know how much wine was consumed at this party, but we know that it was more than was expected. And we do know that Jesus created, I guess you could use that word, he turned the water into, and it was a lot because the measurements are recorded. It was, the measurements are part of what is impressive about this miracle. So much wine Jesus did. Maybe it would be legit for Jesus to be at the party if he were the master of ceremonies or, or if he were the, the celebrity of honor or, or, or something like that. Maybe it would be legit. For, but it seems like he's just there. It seems like he just got an invitation. He did not sneak in. He seems to fit in. And they don't even know that the light of the world, the logos of the universe, is at the party. His mother was the first to identify the problem. Jesus, they've run out of wine. Now, this was a big deal. You know this was a big deal. It was a big deal because weddings in that day lasted for days, sometimes for weeks. And the reproach associated with any family that would have made this miscalculation, that would have run out of wine, the damage to the reputation, the trajectory of a couple whose wedding ran out of wine, I'm telling you, the shame would have been immeasurable. The, the, the opportunity for their union would have been damaged. And, and, and we don't know why they ran out of wine. Maybe the disciples were wedding crashers. Maybe only Jesus was invited and he brought 12 dudes with him. I, I don't know maybe maybe everybody's drinking more than they imagined that the party was going to to drink I, I don't know maybe they were just poor people and and they knew they weren't going to have enough wine and they were just hoping for the best but Mary is on the scene what does God want? He, he wants a people of God. Mary, Mary's a take charge kind of a person. If you had a mother like Mary who's always, you know, sort of sticking herself in the middle of everybody's trouble, you should have a good attitude about that because uh, she's a catalyst. She's a generator. You know, she's a problem solver. And so she goes to Jesus. I don't know how she hears that they're running out of wine, but she goes immediately to Jesus and she tells Jesus about the problem. And I just think this would be a good pause. You might get ready to clap for this. I think this is a good place to just have the people of God celebrate that we have a God who is very eager to deliver heaven's glory into unexpected places, into episodes of our life that we never imagined he could actually show up. I wish somebody would just help me celebrate a king who likes to show up and turn common events in, in common elements of life into manifestations and miracles. This is the kind of Jesus because it seems like he does his best work in common scenarios of life. I mean, I, I, you... It's like he does kitchen stuff really well. 
Like the bread and the loaves. Yeah, we can do that. Or in the Old Testament, like the widow ran out of, out of meal and oil, but the prophet came and says, no, you'll have as much as you need. We're talking about a God who likes to help a lumberjack find the ax head that he lost in the river. Or the God who helps King Saul find his wandering donkeys as, as they're lost out in the wilderness. We're talking about the kind of God who is so good that he cares about the details of life during tax season. He says, Peter, just go take a hook and catch a fish and you're going to find the tax. He cares about the stuff that we care about. If you're the people of God, there is nothing that concerns you that does not also concern him. And so she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, the party's about to run out of wine and Jesus has an interesting reaction. He argues with his mom. He's 30 years old, and I guess he feels like he has the right to do that. But he's like, woman, what, what does your concern? This is a great question. I don't think it's a put down. I, I think it's an invitation. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? What is the thing that you're concerned about going to do to my heart? What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet Come. Jesus is like, this is not my party, mom. This is, I didn't invite these people. Why should I take interest in this just because you're taking interest in this? It's not my time. And yet, mom persists. She's like, no, Jesus, you need to take care of the wine. And it's so intriguing to me that the first miracle of the gospel of John is not lepers being healed. Surely Mary and Jesus had walked by lepers before. And the first miracle of the gospel of John is not blind eyes being healed. Surely they had many beggars who were blind that Jesus could have healed before that. The very first miracle of the gospel of John is turning water into wine. Turning water into wine. And it seems like a terrible debut, except for the things that concern Mary ended up concerning Jesus. She doesn't argue with Jesus after she hands it off to him. She, she kind of slips away. She goes to the servants and she says, this is her faith expression. She says, whatever he says, you need to do. And I'd like to represent her heart this way. She did not know what was going to happen, but she was positive something was about to happen. That's the way I feel about the church in America right now. I don't know what's about to happen, but something's about to happen. Come on, somebody. Don't you feel the, the stirring, the churning? God is about to pour out his spirit in a fresh, uh, that's a whole nother sermon. I'll just say, I don't know what's gonna happen, but something's about to happen. And, and so she, she walks away after that. She, she doesn't try to supervise the miracle. She doesn't tell Jesus how he should how he should resolve this, this issue. And, and that's one of the things I learned from this story too is I I'm, need to stop telling Jesus how to do his job and just trust him to do it. And you know the rest of this story. You know that the 
servants, Jesus told the servants to get the water pots. It's important to know that the water pots carried 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. So that's quite a job for the servants to carry these big water pots to a source of water, a river, a well. I don't know where they went. They had to go and load the water pots with 30, 30 gallons of water is pretty heavy and they have to carry 30 gallons of water back into the wedding and nothing is happening the whole time that they're doing that until they begin to pour out the water and as they are pouring out the water the miracle occurs and the water turns into not just wine but the best wine because he saved the best wine for 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 last and I just wanted to tell you the story even though you've heard it before but I'd like to leave you with three ideas three ideas that give God his desire his peculiar can I call you peculiar the Bible does his peculiar people his peculiar people delivering the heart of God into the strangest places. Just three things that will help us do that. The first is, let's know Jesus. I'll just tell you all three. Know Jesus, go to parties with Jesus, and live from his goodness. Let's know Jesus. Number one, let's just know Jesus. And let's know Jesus better than anybody else in the room. I, I don't know if that's a nice thing to say or not, but we need some Christians who can have confidence in the crisis. We need some Christians who know what to do when everybody else is filled with panic. Of all the wedding guests, Mary was the one who carried the secret intelligence. She's like, no, 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 I am not going to let my friends begin their wedding with their marriage with shame and reproach. I'm going to do something about it. And so she went to Jesus because she knew that Jesus, Mary was the only one in the room, it seems, who knew that she had the power to break agreement with poverty, to break agreement with victimhood, to break agreement with shame and the trajectory that was going to damage the destiny of this family. She would not tolerate the despair that was encroaching into the party. She said, I think I will be the people of God. I know somebody who can do something about this. And she went to Jesus. This party would have been the talk of the region if the wine had run out. It would have been so humiliating for this family as it turns out. This party is the talk of generations because Jesus belonged to Mary and Mary belonged to Jesus and Mary had a peculiar knowledge that was activated in time of disaster. Hmm. I don't know where Joseph is. They're still trying to, theologians are arguing about what happened to Joseph, but thank God for Mama Mary. She grasped, she grasped the guy that had been eating the wedding cake, maybe took him off the dance floor. I'm just imagining crazy stuff like that. But the word made flesh right there at the party. The word, the glory, the logos was right there at the party. And Mary became the highway. Mary became the priest. Mary became the bridge. Mary
Mary became the people of God who unlocked an unprecedented solution to a really big deal problem that was going on in her community. Listen, just because the solution has not already been discovered does not mean we don't have a God who knows how to repair, a God who knows how to restore. There are unprecedented solutions that are about to be released through the people of God if we'll just understand that he is ours and we are his. We have to know him. And can I just say there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him? If you're gonna know him, you have to be intentional about it. Mary knew, she, she had secret knowledge. She knew about her conception with the Holy Spirit, you know, a virgin birth. She knew about the angels visiting her. She knew about the prophets. She knew about the wise men. And this is why it is so important in this hour that the people of God not settle into the place of knowledge that we've previously known. Probably most of the people who are in this room say, would say, yes, I know Jesus, but I am saying there is more of Jesus that we can know if we'll be intentional about discovering the loftiness of his glory being made manifest in our communities. We need, we need to know him. Weddings will be different if we, if we know who's there. Number two, if we're going to be the people of God and deliver hope, oh, I was just getting blessed by that song. What's the phrase on that? Let hope, let hope live? What was it? You keep hope alive. I was singing that song, You Keep Hope Alive, and it was talking about because Jesus, you are alive. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, are you keeping hope alive or are we keeping hope alive? Because we're the body of Christ and you're living in us. And I just felt heaven say, yeah, both of those. So you keep hope alive, right? Anyway, sorry. Let me finish this real quick. Number two, you want to be the people of God and really keep hope alive? Go to parties with Jesus. Go to parties with Jesus. Jesus did not resist his mother. He... You know, at first he's like, this is not my party. And, and, and yet it's like Mary had a key to unlock his heart. Because he's, he's like, all right, mother. You're like, yeah, that's, that's a mother thing. No, that's a kingdom thing. That's, a key, that's being the people of God. Did you know that as people of God, you have the keys to the kingdom? You have the keys to our father's heart? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. I think I've talked about this to you before. Caesarea Philippi was the occult headquarters of the whole Holy Land area. He had never preached in Caesarea Philippi. He had never done a miracle in Caesarea Philippi. So he takes them to this very bad place. The place where it looks like darkness was winning. And he says, I need to know, guys, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, bless his heart, he's like, he's like, man, people, we took a survey. People think you're Jeremiah. They think you're Isaiah. They think you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned, yeah, but Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter, oh, there's never been a better moment in Peter's faith. He's like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it so touched the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. He erupts and he's, oh, Peter, he says, that identity, that you're not Simon anymore. You're the rock. We're going to build the church together with you. I will build the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. I could preach a whole sermon on the keys of the kingdom of God, but just let me explain 
morning, you already know this, those keys were not just for Peter. They were for the people of God. And those keys represent opportunity. Those keys represent that I don't have to walk from here to Pittsburgh to catch my plane because I have keys that give me opportunity to get in a car. And I'm just saying it's time for the people of God with the help of the Holy Spirit to look around the scenarios and the episodes of our life and say, God, how can you manifest your glory? How can the word be made flesh in this scenario of life? You have the keys for that. You do. We do. We do. We do. We have the keys. We have the keys to revival. The third thing that that I just would coach us on by way of being the people of God and really really making a difference in the world. Not only just know him, not only take him everywhere, but you know that when I say take Jesus to parties, I'm not really telling you to go get drunk at parties, right? You know I'm not using parties as a metaphor here. If you took Jesus to the party, you probably wouldn't get drunk anyway. So, But the third thing that I want to say is live with an awareness of his goodness. You're like, oh, I hear preachers talk about the goodness of God all the time. It's such a cliche, the goodness, the goodness. But I need you to understand, musicians, if you would join me, I need you to understand that Mary was able to activate herself as a kingdom of God mother because she knew him. And she didn't just know him as a, as a good boy. She knew that in his essence he was good and 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 I just need to remind somebody today that regardless of the way things are looking or whatever you're running out of right now God is good and because she knew that his goodness could not stay in an environment of crisis or need she had an uncommon faith and she called on on Jesus and 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 faith in God is easy you just have to look at the mountains or the sunsets or the rainbow and and you're like yes there's a God only a fool would say there is no God but faith in his goodness breaks the power of religion I hate religion Religion, religion is always, it's a spirit that keeps us from being the people of God because religion always says, you're not doing enough, you know. You're not, you're not praying enough. You're not giving enough. You're not worshiping enough. You're, you're never, and because religion is always putting that heavy burden of not enough on the people of God, then we just disqualify ourselves. And we're like, oh, well, God could never use me because I'm not enough. God could never use me because I, I, you know, I didn't do this and I failed to do that and I, and I got angry at my spouse and I, 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 I had a bad temper in the traffic the other day. I could never be used in a crisis as a solution. And I've just come to remind you that there's a difference between being religious and being the people of God. Come all the way from Dallas today and decide we can be the people of God. For this generation, we can bring solutions to the earth. We can bring our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom, let your reign, let your heart, let your love come into the earth. Would you stand together?
Mary's faith was very simple. I know Jesus, and Jesus will do something about this. And that's the kind of faith that the people of God will carry. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to hand it back to Pastor Mel. I think we're going to sing. But um, would you mind bowing your heads, please? Thank you for letting me share my heart with you today. There are a couple of things that I'd like to pray over you before I head back to Dallas. Let me me just say, I really do believe that prayers make a difference. I hope you do. Holy Spirit, help us pray. I'd like to pray this morning over this simple idea of belonging as the people of God to God. God belongs to us. We belong to God. Listen, can I just say life is way too complex to try to live it without God? Can I just say the world is kind of unraveling at such a rapid pace that if the people of God don't rise up, we're going to run out of wine. I'd just like to pray for any person today who's feeling an invitation from the Holy Spirit just to affirm that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be his. I'm going to be in his family. I'm going to say yes to the opportunities to be a solution to shame, to be a solution to poverty, to be a solution to hopelessness. If there's anybody today say, Pastor, I give you permission to pray that I would have the confidence to live in a crisis because I belong to the family of God. Would you just lift your hand and say, you can pray for me for that. Yeah, all over the house, all over the house. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because can I just tell you, if you don't have confidence that you belong, that you're the people of God, there's going to be a lot of things happen in the next 30 days or 30 months that are going to say, God, I need, I need some help. And it's, wouldn't it be better just go, whatever comes my way, I belong to God. I belong to God. I know someone who can help this. I want to pray one other thing. I've prayed this over the earlier service, but I feel to pray it again. I've been around a lot of Christian people so long, and, and it's a little discouraging because we're so sad lately. We're so, it seems like, the, like a heaviness, like a mourning has just come into the body of Christ. And can, listen, wine is a picture of joy. And can I just remind you that there's a lot of reasons for the people of God to have the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord, of belonging to the Lord, the joy of your sins forgiven, the joy of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you, the joy of knowing that we have a God who goes before us and behind us. And if there's anybody in the room that said, Pastor, before you hand that mic off, I would give you permission to pray that there would be an infusion from the Holy Spirit of that part of the kingdom of God. Listen, kingdom of God is righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you're a candidate for that, would you just lift your hand right now and say, I am tired of being sad. I want the joy of the Holy Spirit in my life. Yeah. Wow. I feel the seriousness of this moment. I really do. For some of you, that sadness has been there so long that it's almost become part of your identity. 
But I just want to say this in the authority of the grace of the king. Your identity is not sorrow and sadness. Your identity is you belong to God. Come on. Come on. Father, for every person who lifted their hand and every person who wanted to but just didn't quite have the courage. I just want to thank you that you're not a God as brilliant as you are, the logos, the, the light. As brilliant as you are, you do not prefer to stay in heaven. You like to come down and be in our stuff. And so this is our official welcome again to say, Jesus, would you, would you turn this party around? <laughs> would you turn our life around? Would you, would you give us the confidence to face every crisis knowing that we belong to you, that you belong to us, that we don't have to earn our righteousness, but you became sin for us so that we could become your righteousness? God, we thank you that you want us. You not only love us, you like us. And you have chosen us for partnership in this generation. So we say yes to the idea that we are the people of God. Just say yes out loud. We are the people of God. We are the peculiar ones who know where to go when everybody else is freaking out. And Lord, I... I just release now over this house an atmosphere of joy. Father, I think it's a stronghold. And I, there's a particular lady that I, you've highlighted. She raised her hand. And Father, I speak especially over her life right now that sorrow and sadness is fleeing in the name of Jesus because of the awareness that comes to her own spirit of how loved she is by God. Father, I speak a joy that is unspeakable because we know who you are, therefore we know who we are. And I thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And we have a life that celebrates. We're not trying to wrestle the devil to get to a victory. We have already celebrated your victory over death, hell, and the grave. So we are extending your victory into the earth and we're joyful about it. So God, I just pray that Summit Church would be the most joyful, strong, solution makers, problem solvers that this part of Pennsylvania has ever known. I say in the name of Jesus that the solutions to the schools are right here in the room. The solutions to running out, <laughs> right here in the room. The solutions to diseases, right here in the room. The solutions to broken families right here in the room. Thank you that we're the people of God. Come on, you guys have been amazing, but just one more time. No, no, don't clap, don't clap. Just one more time. Just say, I belong to God. Come on, say it one more time. I belong to God. God bless you. Thanks for letting me share my heart today.